The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back. I have two reasons to be very excited to be sitting here right now. Number one is because I haven't sat down all day. We've been loading our bus. It's out in our driveway. It's time for Ty and I to get on the road for the summer. Yeah, we're going out there. No matter what's going on with the the craziness in this world, we we feel protected by angels along the way, and we're going to go out west. We moved near the water, but Ty has this T-shirt. He's been wearing it more often than normal lately. It says, the mountains are calling and I must go. So off we head to the mountains. Maybe we'll see some of you along the way. I have a couple live events still and just visiting a lot of friends. So we'll continue to do the radio show. And I so look forward to getting together with all of you each week. The second reason I'm excited is because my guest today is a wonderful, beautiful soul. I've recently read her book cover to cover angels in the OR she is Trisha Barker and another near death experiencer last week we talked to Leslie Lupo and i don't know if you're like me i just can never get enough of these near death experience stories and the beautiful energy that those who have experienced them bring to us and the wisdom the insights so trisha has a little bit of different bent as each one does and let's just get right to it trisha welcome to the show Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to chat with you. This is going to be amazing. It is, it is. And you have a beautiful website, TrishaBarkerNDE.com. And later on, I want you to talk to us about this wonderful summit you have coming up, a free summit about near-death experiences. But let's just let you tell us about you. I'm really not one that likes to read biographies. I'd rather hear it from you yourself. Tell us about Trisha Barker. Well, my life was obviously reoriented by that near-death experience, and it happened when I was a senior in college, and I had planned to go into law, and I joked that God became my guidance counselor, and I was (laughs) reoriented and, and brought into the teaching field where I believe that angels and guides have worked through me for the past few decades to really reach students who were at critical moments in their life, and And I wouldn't have chosen that path for myself because I grew up poor and, you know, just thought, oh, I'll I'll go into law to make money. But every, I'm sure you understand this because you help people in this way, but every moment 
I have worked with someone or helped them, I felt that light pour through me. Yeah. And what a joy and a gift that has been. Well, Tricia, I want to talk a lot, maybe a little later in the show, about you as a teacher because I was so impressed. And I thought if only more people that need the kind of teaching that you give could have teachers like you. I know that, that that many of those who are listening are on the same path and they get this, but we'll talk more. Some specific examples I pulled out of the book is beautiful. So I mean, Spirit knew what they were doing when they said, no, no, lawyer, no, teacher. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so you were, why don't you just go right into the story of what happened to you? Angels in the OR. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, people are not familiar with my story. Basically, I had a head-on collision on the way to run the Austin 10K, which is a big race in Austin. And I waited 17 hours before a surgeon would operate on me. They knew that there were internal injuries and that my spine had been fractured in three places. Mm. Basically, I could not lift myself up. You know, when I was in the car, I could not lift myself out of that position. I was slumped up against the door. I'd lost feeling in my left leg. I didn't have health insurance at the time, so that was another problem. There were there was a neurosurgeon who refused to operate on me, and I overheard nurses talking about this because I didn't have health insurance. But eventually, a neurosurgeon saw my chart and made a connection with her, and 17 hours after the accident, I went into surgery. Now, mm. being an agnostic, you know, I didn't I didn't think that anything about death really I was like okay get this over with and I hope I can walk afterwards and everything in my mental construct was about this 3D reality I can't tell you how shocked and excited and blissful I was the Mm. moment my spirit form popped out of my body I mean (laughs) my first thought was like oh I was wrong like this is the reality you know the, the, the physical reality is just like the play or the costume that we put on And immediately, I mean, those first couple of seconds outside of my body, I got it. And I realized, okay, we go on, my essential self is the spirit form. And I saw my body on the operating table and honestly felt quite disconnected from it. I thought, ooh, surgery's bloody. (laughs) Never thought there'd be so much blood. And, And technically, I was bleeding to death at that moment. The internal injuries were causing me to lose a lot of blood. But I looked up. And there were these nine-foot beings, these angels at the end of my bed, and I was astounded. I didn't really even know to call them angels. I just thought they're light beings. They're amazing. And the first thing that, that my consciousness registered was, wow, they're so intelligent. And they sent this healing light this energy into my spirit form. And there was a bit of playfulness, too, when they slowed down communication they gave me words. And and now when I interact with spirit in that realm, that's kind of how my consciousness sees things. Like there will be a slowing down of messages mm-hmm. and they're actually words, but mostly telepathy is, is how the communication happened. And, and they said, watch this. And they sent light through the surgeons, through their hands and into my body. I knew I'd walk, I'd be healed. They would pick the fragments of bone out of my spine, but but I was just amazed. I mean, I, I sat there because I, I'd never heard of these concepts in 1994. I hadn't heard of Reiki workers or 
you know, angels working through surgeons, and I couldn't believe that this was happening. And and I thought, oh, these neurosurgeons, they probably think that they're the cause of my healing, and it's just them. They don't realize that these angels are working through them. Yeah, and I thought, well, maybe a little help do, from above. <laughs> yeah, and then I thought, well, maybe they do. I'll ask them later, you know, because I was pretty certain even at that point I'd be coming back. But I ended up um, seeing the monitor flatline, and then I realized my form, my physical form, was dead. And it didn't seem like a fun place to be to watch them revive me, and I thought, surely there's a whole lot more to see out in this realm. And so I left the hospital room, saw my stepdad get a candy bar, and researchers have studied my story because that's the verifiable detail. You know, he indeed did get a candy bar, and my mom and and father um, verified that. But but yeah, me, I don't want to skip important... over that too fast. I mean, you, you I just want to emphasize that for, for those who aren't familiar with near-death experiences. So here, your body is lying in the operating room. The doctors are trying to bring you back to life, and you're floating out in the hallway and watch your stepfather buy a candy bar from a candy machine, and he later verifies that's what happened at that exact moment. Yeah, and he was a bit yeah. of a health nut. Like, they're the type of people who would criticize people for having a Coke or a candy bar. So it was kind of funny that he was getting one, <laughs> you know, that his little secret sugar stash. But, but yeah, that, that moment, my mother and father actually, they felt connected to my soul on some level. They fell to the floor. They were praying that I not die because they literally felt the moment that I died. And wow. And that he came in with that candy bar, apparently, made a joke. They got up off the floor, and then they all just waited for me to come out of surgery. But for me, it was just a moment where I saw him and thought, okay, whatever, and then flew into the night sky and and, uh, and felt this, like, consciousness that connected with everyone I'd ever known. And all that my heart and soul wanted to say to everyone, Suzanne, was simply, I love you. Have a good life be better if you need to be better, just be good to other people and enjoy your life. But whether this was a barista at a coffee shop or someone who I knew in a close way, all that I wanted to say was goodbye, I love you, be good. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. basically what my soul communicated at that level. And then the experience became multi-layered and time became a bit different. But I was not afraid. I was in this night sky, which looked like maybe outer space, lots of stars, and I felt an intelligence coming toward me that was completely calming and beautiful, and it was an intelligence of perhaps God, and this intelligence was showing me bits of my life, so bits of of my life like from childhood when I was very much in touch with nature, and as a child, I would pray and watch rabbits and sit under a tree. And, and God said, this is a good moment. Remember this. Be in touch. Go go places in nature and sit there and, and remember this bliss. And then as I got older, God showed, showed me some other moments in my life. Now, unlike some near-death experiencers who are older when they have their experiences and perhaps have done some you know, questionable things, I was Mm -hmm. still young, you know, I was 22 and I hadn't done anything particularly terrible. I mean, I'd been a little self-destructive and a bit of a party girl at college, but I hadn't been mean to people except 
in moments I had been judgmental. I didn't let people into my heart. I thought, oh, if they don't like the same movies and documentaries or they don't go to my my university, I just don't have time for them. And God showed mm-hmm. me the people I was missing out on. And I saw into the hearts of this one couple I worked with, and they were gorgeous inside. They were the mm. sweetest people, and they prayed for me. And here I was, this this cliquish, snobby, judgmental college student, and I didn't have time for them. And I thought, oh, I'm going to come back and be different. I'm going to love people. I'm going to look into their hearts. I'm not going to judge them. And to me, that was such a big lesson because I didn't like who I was when I saw myself from that perspective. And I think that the life review scares a lot of people because they feel that they'll be judged. But it's really a moment for God to just show you how to be better, how to be more loving, how to be more open. At least that was how it was in my experience. And anything well, that's that, that that's I what have... I love about these talks because it gives us a chance to think, hey, we can do that life review ourselves right now and change ourselves now without having to wait till we die. Yeah, that really we can always take a moment to just assess and go, how can I open my heart more to people? How can I how can I be better in my own life and what ways is fear holding me back and what ways am I limited and, and really let that love of God flow through us in this world. Hmm. Yeah. So the, that was all my, my life review consisted of. And then I heard messages from heaven. One of them was be like a little child. Another one was love is all that matters. And Man, don't we continue to unpack that one <laughs> because, yeah. you know, love is so misunderstood here on earth. But but I've looked at that love of God as, as healing, and I think that's what that message means. But But as I felt these timeless, important messages filtering through my soul, I entered what, what looked like a holding place to me, but could be a heavenly landscape. And in this realm... People always want to know, you know, do you meet your ancestors? Well, I was 22, and I have a lot of people in my family who live a long time. The only person who was dead was my grandfather. And so ah. he was the one who met me there. And he looks so young and beautiful. I know you see uh, in medium readings, many people's ancestors come through, and they glow, don't they? They have this light around them that's just so beautiful. He looked about 35. Yeah. And just in his prime and his, when I saw him, I just, I knew that he was part of that light of God. That light of God just flowed through him and he, he gave me peace and, and a moment of unconditional love. And, and my near-death experience has a moment in it that some people go, oh, that's strange. But there was a truck in heaven and this truck <laughs> was something he had given my family but it was made perfect in heaven. And I understood in that moment that he created it as a way for us to connect. Because when I was a kid, he had let me ride in the back of the truck and and just enjoy nature. So that's what we did for a time in heaven. And then at some point, he looked back at me and he said, do you want to continue on? And I said, oh, yes, definitely. And I knew that continue on meant go toward the light of God. Mm-hmm. And I begin to feel as I started journeying toward that light of God, people's prayers. People always ask me, you know, about, well, I prayed for someone and they died, or I I prayed for them and, you know, nothing happened. Prayer to me is just energy. It's like a wind. 
And it's a way to send good vibes, a way to send love, a way to maybe if someone is in great pain, offer them peace. But I I can say that even if I had never come back and I had died at that moment, I would have known who loved me. So at least prayer in that realm is a communication. So I heard every word. Beautiful message, and I'm so glad you said that because so many people wondered. And does, does it make a difference? Do those, do our loved ones across the veil need our prayers? Don't necessarily need them, but it's a, it's a gift. Yeah, it's a beautiful gift. You get to keep it in your soul. Like if love is all that matters and all we take with us, then a prayer that is encased in great love, then that that person gets to take it in their soul with them and. So I was carrying these prayers of other people and kind of blew through them in a way, but I understood everything that they were saying. And and at that point in the presence of God, I, I honestly began to not want to come back. I, I heard what they were saying, but this was beginning to be such a, a realm of great beauty and great hope. I'm, I want other people to understand this because we're living in some trying times right now and even back then at 22 I never felt okay so just walking this earth I always felt anxious I felt afraid I felt um, insecure I felt like other people were better than me I never felt good and in the presence of God I felt so good I mean I just felt like oh I'm finally loved I'm finally okay But the message is that that we don't have to die again to get to that point. So, again, you're helping us to know that we are loved like that right here, right now, and always because we're an expression of that love. Exactly, exactly. And I just know so many people suffer, and they don't feel that good. They don't feel that. And I just want to give it to them. But all I can say is I experienced it there in this profound way where it was like, I could finally take a breath and just be okay being me. And so I did not want to leave that presence of God. I was joyful and excited and free to love and deeply loved. And everything about that moment was perfect. And I I can't even put it into words. All near-death experiencers break down. And some of us cry. I know I've cried many times when I talk about it because I miss it. You know, we get, We get pieces of it here, we get moments of it here, but it is so powerful and so profound. It's like an atomic bomb of of the best love you've ever experienced in your Mm. life. And and it just it just is life changing. So in that moment I didn't want to come back and I wanted to keep going towards God and then I was stopped and I heard a voice that it spoke telepathically, but it boomed within me. And God said, look down, and I saw this river, and all along the river were lights. And some of the lights had darkness around them, and some of them shone brightly. And God said, you're going to go back, work as a teacher. And I knew, not spiritual teacher, but actual teacher, Mm -hmm. and remind students to turn on their lights. And in that moment, I, I, my ego or myself, you know, of, of the idea of who I was as a, a person came back to me and I said, oh, no, no, you know, I suffered so much growing up poor and I need safety and I, I need a, no, I can't do that career. <laughs> and so that was the last <laughs> thing that I, I received in heaven. And of course, 
<laughs> you know, I had no choice but to do it. But I, a dark wind enveloped me, and I was pulled back into my body. And I'm a strange near-death experiencer because I never once questioned it, never stopped talking about it. The minute mm-hmm. this was 1994, and I'd heard of Raymond Moody, I'd heard of near-death experiences, and as an agnostic, didn't really care, but I knew what they were. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I had one of those. Yep, <laughs> I'm changed. I'm different. <laughs> but when you came back, and it, then the horrors really started because you're in a in a in a body cast. Yeah, back in '94, they they did back surgery a little different. They took bone from my hip and they put titanium rods in my back, and and the physical pains began. It took about nine months to recover. I was in ICU for three days and in the hospital for seven more days. And yeah, that ninth day when I got out of bed and walked to the end of the hall, that's when everything solidified that I was going to be a teacher. I saw the campus where I was working and and I just cried and I didn't know how, how life here was going to work. But even in the hospital with all that morphine pumping through me, I was not the same person. I was immediately different. I mean, it. I missed God. I missed the light. I found people to be really strange because I could read them a lot better after the experience. Well, <laughs> I have to tell you, you your book is, is wonderful, and the book is Angels in the OR, and it's you're very blunt at times, and I, I love that. It's refreshing. But you write about being in the hospital and you wrote, I felt part angel, part alien, and part roadkill. What a what a jumble that must have been. <laughs> yeah, the <sighs> physical body was a mess. You know, you, I felt like a poker was stuck in my back, and no amount of morphine was really making that feel better. And there were internal injuries, so they were worried about me those three days in, in ICU. And there was, you know, a lot going on, but... I was so aware of the angels that I had seen. I Mm. I started praying to them immediately, even in the hospital, that they still be there with me. And I would wake up and start crying and miss God and try to talk to the nurses about God. And I know people kept making jokes like, wow, her brain is really messed up from the morphine. Mm. (laughs) Trying to explain to people, no, 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 this is who I really am now. You know, this is this is the way it's gonna be, and and it was a kind of an interesting moment. Did that re- truly help you get through the pain and and the walking again, and and even the emotional challenges after the accident? Did it last a while? Oh, it lasted um, a couple of years. Uh, there, there was like, especially those first nine months where I was recovering. I would go into meditation, even that first week. I would leave my body so that I didn't have to feel the pain. So I thought, well, if I've done this in the near-death experience, surely maybe my, I just, the language I had for it back then was maybe my spirit's a little loosened and I can (laughs) just imagine myself out of this pain. And I got really good at doing it. I would just travel into other dimensions and, and just leave the body behind. And then I, there were moments it was it was really kind of strange where I would come back and I would remember, okay, I haven't actually died. I've been away a while in this meditation. Okay, I really do have this body, and I've got to get back into it. <laughs> but the beautiful thing is that any of us can learn to do that through if we train ourselves to go deep enough in meditation. But what a beautiful respite for you. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely a respite from the physical pain, which was pretty enormous and and, uh, pretty challenging. It took a couple of months just to walk to the end of the street, and that was a a big milestone. And I remember your neighbors were cheering you on then. Yeah, it was so cute. And, And the thing that immediately changed is I had a different way of being with people the before the near death experience i wouldn't have known any of my parents elderly neighbors but but i just could not help getting to know people and wanting to know their stories and looking into their lives and feeling connected and happy mm. to be alive that's beautiful and I, mean, and I know that was challenging going back to live with your mom because you had no choice so I, yeah. what a gift to have the the awareness that you had that there is a greater reality Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot to that. I think uh, whatever challenges I had with my mother, I've certainly after writing the book, I'm I'm at greater peace with it and and greater uh, forgiveness. We write books, and you know we're at one place in life, and then we put them out there in the world. And now I just feel like everything that I suffered in childhood or anything that I experienced. It was really to help me help other students who sometimes went through far worse situations. And at least I was just sensitive and aware enough to look into their lives and help them maybe in ways that I wasn't helped. Okay. I definitely want to talk more about the students. Let's see. We do have enough time to talk about your summit here in a minute before we go to the break. Tell us what you're going to offer and how people can learn more about your near-death experience summit. Yeah, well, anyone who's listening, I will give you 40% off the summit. Just type in all caps the word UNITY in the coupon code. But you can go to my webpage, which is Tricia, T-R-I-C-I-A, Barker, B-A-R-K-E-R-N-D-E.com. And I have so many speakers, healers, near-death experiencers who are centering in energy to bring more healing to this world. And the live portion is completely free. So if you're in the U.S. and you want to tune in, it's April 1st and 2nd. You can just tune in and please do sign up just to watch as much as you can and get the April 1st next year? Oh, no, no, not April. I'm sorry. August 1st and 2nd. Oh, okay, okay. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, August 1st and 2nd. And, And really just tune in to hear their stories and wisdom. Lots of, lots of wonderful amazing people that I've gathered for this event. And the website for that is? Yeah, if you just go to my website, you can click on it, but um, okay. but there's other ways to get to it. The website for that okay. is... Okay, uh, we're actually out of time before the break, so okay. com, and we'll talk more about it when we come back. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. 
Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, we are enjoying an inspiring conversation with Trisha Barker. She unfortunately suffered a tremendous head-on car accident in her senior year of college and went to the other side. So that was really great hearing you talk about that, Trisha. But that didn't mean that was the end of your life struggles. You did become a teacher and went and taught overseas in Korea. Would you share with us what's in your book, Angels in the OR, about how you know life just doesn't get easier? You had a pretty traumatic event while in Korea. Yeah, really, I struggled with why I experienced sexual assault overseas because I had been taken from kind of a a tough life to these high heights of beauty with this near-death experience. And for a couple of years, I just floated in the after effects of the NDE. You know, I just felt this oneness and love with other people and, and felt excited about teaching and was excited about traveling overseas. And And then I experienced uh, sexual assault while I was there, and I felt like I had experienced the most profound spiritual experience and then one of the worst physical experiences, and it Mm. it put me solidly in my body. But but I began a healing journey, and I feel like I learned a lot about healing through that. Everyone has trauma in their lives, no matter what it might be, and how do you heal from trauma? And I started asking the other side, you know, along the way, what do I do? I felt like my power center had been shot through. I could look and I could see energetically what had been damaged. And I could see it in other women when I went to, you know, different rape crisis centers and and talks. And I thought, well, how does this heal? I'll use what I learned from the other side to begin healing it. And I was told to go to nature. So I went to nature and I sat there and I cried and I, I let nature begin to heal me and to put me in the moment because I've talked with people who've been in the military and suffer from PTSD. I've talked with so many people. And at some point there's this decision to let trauma leave your body as much as possible, whether you scream it out, whether you fight it out in classes, you know, self-defense courses, whether you do healing work with many people, there's, there's, so many different modalities and things that you can do, but at some point there is this place where you can say, I'm in this moment, I'm going to override it. I choose to live fully with that light of God just streaming through me and I am as healed as I can be. I mean, healing is is an ongoing process and you're different and changed because of events like that. But there's also a quickening of healing in these times that I wanted to find both for myself and I wanted to encourage in others. So, you know, that was maybe why it happened to me. So I could one connect with students who were quite young and had experienced either sexual abuse or sexual assault, male and female students in junior high, high school, college, and, and see it in them. And long before they even talked about it, I taught creative writing classes. So 
many times people write about these things and poems and stories and want to process it on a psychological level. And of, of course, I sent them to psychologists and to people who can help. But I think being that person who's one of the first people to process trauma with, I I just brought that realm of healing, what I had learned, and, and tried to help as many people as I could take themselves seriously in their own healing. A lot of people want to suppress it. Well, and also what I found so interesting in your book is you wrote that you knew that your vibration did not manifest a stalker or that rape. You wrote rather the collective unconscious had created a rape culture, a culture that gives men power over women and doesn't often hold them responsible for violence against women. So I think that that's just perfect that you make that point that we're not evolved enough yet to the point where we have gone beyond that. It's a culture thing. So many people who are victims think, did I bring this on myself? Was this part of my soul's plan? So I like that perspective that you gave. It's it's enlightening. Yeah, because I I looked at it and I thought, well, what if I'd been born, and I I believe in past lives, what if I'd been born in the Middle Ages? You know, would I have become president? (laughs) No, that didn't even exist. You know, what what would my rights have been like as a peasant or a worker? That would have been my life, and there would have been just a, a realm of possibilities within that culture. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know, that, yes, there's a lot that's possible. There's a lot of beauty that we can manifest and a lot that we can change by our focus. But, but we do also live in a society that, that uh, is somewhat random sometimes. Yeah. Well, if we could shift gears here now, I would love to talk about you as a teacher and how your near-death experience affected how you treat students. You were you were a brave soul. You took on the substitute teaching jobs for a while, and even the <laughs> ones where and some of the administrators actually expected you to fail. What was your approach to the students? You you describe it so beautifully in the book, and I loved it. Oh, you know, I I saw the light in them. They're young and innocent on some level, no matter if they sold drugs or they were in a gang or there was always, I saw the light of God in them. And that's what I was reaching for is their creativity, their hope, their, their best interest. And they felt it. They knew it. You know, they, and, and they I think it was probably to- the first time any teacher had ever let on that they saw that in them. That was what's so beautiful as I read it. I could put myself in the student's place and here they're get their smart mouth in you or they're trying to embarrass you in front of everybody and you just weren't having it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's easy when you know that God is working through you or you have a mission. It's different in the world when you're just walking around and people are mean to you. But I had a role and I was like, God gave me this role to be a teacher. So by God, I'm going to help them. <laughs> and so, you know, that but what was, if we all knew that, attitude. right? If, you know, if, if, if we all knew that we're here to play this role and so I'm going to do it and I have the, these angels watching over me and, and sources watching over me. But there's this beautiful letter you shared at the end of the book from one of your students at the end of the year. And the student wrote, I treated you horribly and made fun of you, but you kept loving me and asking me to do my best. Wow. Yeah, so junior high boys can definitely be, uh, <laughs> they can be combative. <laughs> and he was a particularly tough student, but at the end of the year, he got it. And he he understood that I just wanted the best for him. And 
those moments, I think they bring teachers back every year. Lots of teachers do have those moments, but but certainly when a student realizes that you're only trying to help them, it's it's just magic. Yeah, let me see. Yeah, all I had to do was see any one of my students really see him or her and then offer some hope. Not a ton of hope, just a thread. If we could just do that with everybody, not just teachers to students, but see that light in each other. That's what I love about what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, some of these students that I worked with were from very poor school districts and they had very little in their lives. And and just telling a student that he wrote well or that she had a great idea that would you could see the light literally come on in them. No stranger had ever told them that they had depth or intelligence or beauty and and to see them get excited about what they can do in the world and just think in that direction, it it touched my heart. I couldn't believe that they were living life with so little inspiration and so little goodness coming toward them. Yeah. And you, you yourself you said earlier you were a party girl before the accident. How did that change your lifestyle, your life choices, your friends afterwards? Yeah, well, a lot of my friends didn't make sense to me. You know, I I would like to tell everyone who's lost in that kind of culture that if you just give yourself even a month of, uh, you know, just eating fruits and vegetables and meditating, you won't even recognize the people that you're hanging out with because that alters their consciousness so much. And and I understand that there are sensitive souls in this world who deal with addiction because they can't deal with life, and it's it's their way of just patting themselves from the brutality of life. But but my hope for people is that they learn to take care of themselves and their bodies and reach for a diet and a way of being that is just incredibly caring to the self because I, I was grateful to walk grateful to have a body so i did see it more of a temple (laughs) something i wanted to treat with more dignity and you tried to bring meditation into the classroom how'd that go oh yeah so i was ahead of my time (laughs) a small small texas town in the early 2000s it didn't go over so well with the parents because they thought i was bringing buddhism to the class when really I was just trying to get the students to calm down and breathe and and alter their their hyperactivity. Some of them drank so much Coke and caffeine before class. They were just hyperactive messes, but they would come into <laughs> class and meditate and they changed. They could focus on their studies. They could read a story. Their writing became better. And the honor students loved it even more. They really got into it. And so it was fascinating to see these students get excited about it and the parents react in a terrified type of way. But you now it's quite common in schools. And people understand that it's you can pray if you're a Christian. You know, you can certainly spend that time and and connect with with your divine, your image of what divinity is. And or you can just breathe. And so I still teach it at the community college level. We'll take one day or we'll go down to the river. And it never fails. Everyone's happier after spending time in nature and, and meditating. Just it works every single time. No surprise. Now, you've had other healing experiences. There's one particular, the Santuario de Chimayo. You want to share that? 
Yeah. So a lot of people, since, you know, we, a lot of near-death experiences don't have uh, religious figures in them. And I did hear the words, be like a little child. And, and I just, after the near-death experience, I just called myself spiritual. I, I would go into a church if I felt like there was beauty or love or healing energy, but none of it really mattered. I was just as happy at a spiritual group or temple or wherever. But in this particular church, I went because I heard it was a healing cathedral and I had pain in my neck. Uh, that was caused, of course, from the accident over time that that um, caused arthritis in the neck. And I, I walked in to this chapel and the oddest thing happened. I felt <laughs> the presence of Jesus and I was stunned. I just couldn't believe it. And he said that healing, and I didn't write about this in the book, and I kind of wish I had, but he said healing begins at this emotional level and that I needed to work on things from childhood and before I could work on the physical manifestations that I wasn't seeing. You know, the neck is a representation of seeing from other perspectives, and I was having trouble seeing from the perspectives of my mother and father and totally forgiving them. And so he was like, you're going to be my child now and I'm going to heal you and you're going to feel okay. And so that began this deep healing emotional journey where I committed more to therapy and committed more to healing those emotional wounds. And then I kept going back to that chapel and a couple of years later, finally my neck healed, <laughs> but it had to begin uh, at an emotional level yeah. before I could get to the physical. And there's, you specifically had an, an actual encounter with your inner child. Yeah. Yeah. The, the inner child is the key to so much healing, especially abused kids. If you can reconnect with that child and, and really go back in time and talk to that child and go, what do you need? How can I be there for you? How can I be a source of strength? I think we forget that we can look at our lives right now and go, hmm, would I bring my child along on this journey that I'm choosing for myself? And that's... Um, and nurture that's that part of us. Yeah, yeah. So important. Beautiful. Well, let's see. There was a particular thing I wanted to talk to you about. You mentioned at the beginning, this really intrigued me, I made a note about it, that when you crossed the veil, you immediately saw that this right here, this reality from which we're speaking to each other and everybody's listening, this is like a play. These are the costumes. How could you tell that? Did it just, was it just stark contrast? And why does this seem so real then? Yeah, so if you think of, any movie like The Matrix or anything where you see the workings behind something, I felt like I had just stepped through and I just clearly saw that my own spirit form, so that spirit form, it felt so much more intelligent and intense. So wow. I felt as if I was limited by my human mind and my human body and and probably, you know, the wounds of childhood, maybe some complex PTSD, anxiety, those things that we are just housed in our body, um, slow us down from connecting with the other side. And when I was just my spirit form, I was like, awesome, I can just soak up all <laughs> this amazing energy. And this is what's happening. And the angels are working through the doctors. And I'm really the spirit. And this is the reality. And oh, that silly existence is just a play. And that disconnection was 
interesting to me because we take it all so seriously once we're in the body because the body hurts. I mean, like right now my foot hurts. I don't know why. Maybe I sprained it and it's all I can think about. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, and, and we forget that there's this realm beyond us of great healing. So how do you work with those in that realm today? I know you do angel work, healing work, mediumship. Let's talk about yeah. that. So I love spiritual counseling. So basically when people want a deeper connection with the other side and they call to connect with me, that's just beautiful and fun. And I do give medium readings. Um, that has been such an interesting journey. I, I know you help people discover their own abilities. And how do you do that, Suzanne? Well, first, it's like we were talking on the break. You have to first show people that this is real, get them to believe that the greater reality exists. And once we open that door, then incite a bit of wonder. And I wonder if I could do it. And we don't know we can do it till we believe that it exists and that those across the veil want to talk with us. And then you train the mind to be quiet and you align with your higher self. It's it's actually quite simple once you open that door. But yeah, yeah, you're, you, you became aware of this after your father's passing, right? Yeah, yeah. Funny little story. Someone was giving me a reading and he was way off and I think he was a bit of a fraud and I just saw my father behind him like jumping around going, stop it. You can do this. Just listen to me. Just walk away from this guy. (laughs) And so I, I could clearly hear my father and then over time other people asked me if I could connect with their loved ones and and I was surprised that I could and surprised that it, it happens. I mean, to me, it's even fascinating. Do you ever feel that way just when you go into oh. that place? Like, wow, this is. And you know, it always is. Really it doesn't, that, that awe never changes. And we also were mentioning on the break that I want all of you to just understand that those who've had that near-death experience, they've been in that energy. They remember it. And so it, they do open up a, a lovely connection and it, and it does seem easier to practice mediumship to connect across the veil but we do all have that ability we may, you may just have to work harder at it if you haven't had an nde or been seeing spirits your whole life but how do yeah, you deal I, with angels now well they are just quite amazing so if i'm ever i hate driving of course since i had a wreck so if i'm ever driving in tough conditions i'll ask them to surround my car and they're actually playful. So one time it was snowy and, and just kind of bad road conditions. And I was on an interstate and they acted like they were a tank around my car. And it, it made me chuckle because I thought, you can, wow. How do you, you see this objectively or is it in your mind's eye? How does that manifest? It will be like a little quick vision. So they spread their wings out. And in this case, they did have wings. And it just kind of encircled my car with this energy. Uh-huh. And they're like, you're protected, you're fine, quit worrying about this. And so you can call on them when you're afraid. You can call on angels really in simple ways. Make I, I have to share, well. because you shared that driving experience, and I, I should do this more often, but the, uh, three ladies were coming to one of my events, and they asked the angels to protect them on the trip, their car trip. And a big black rock flew off of a truck in front of them. All three of them watched this rock coming at the windshield. And about three feet in front of the car, it split in two and went down both sides of the car in the middle of the air. Wow. I know. 
That's amazing. <laughs> so what Trisha just said to you, you know, she saw the angels like protecting the car. And then these ladies saw the effects of that. So I think if more of us knew that angels are real and that they're just so willing to help us if we ask, more people would ask, don't you? Yeah, we don't ask enough. I, I tell my people who come to my talks, I'm like, there's a lot of unused angels out there because people aren't asking them. Go ahead and use their angels. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> just ask them all. <laughs> Sometimes I ask for like 10,000 unused angels, like, come on, help me here. <laughs> <laughs> so you are working to make NDE experiences you know, more mainstream. Yeah, that's why I started the online summit and feature other speakers. I want, if if someone doesn't connect with my story and my style, because as you said, I'm, I'm kind of outspoken and out there in some ways, I, they might connect with another story. And everyone can benefit from feeling a deeper connection to the other side and, and feeling less fear about what happens when we die. I think that's the the main part. And I, I don't, I'm, they happen to people in all walks of life. I've interviewed people like Jim Bruton, who who was a war correspondent, and his experience is unusual. I've interviewed people like Pan, Peter Panagor and Sherry Ami, and just various mm-hmm. people who they work in this world in such different ways, and they are from such different places, but the experiences change them. And that's the main theme is near-death experiencers are definitely different after this experience. Yeah, no doubt about it. There's a lot to learn. So they're considered, many, many people who've had near-death experiences would call themselves a light worker. I'm sure that you, you may not call yourself a light worker, but you are. Do you want to tell those listening what that means to be a light worker? Yeah, and I do claim that title myself. And I think sometimes it takes people many years to do that, but I've the visions my angels give me, and I, I, I asked them about this. I said, what am I going to do when I'm older and maybe I don't have as much energy and this body is dying? And they said, I'm going to sit and meditate and send my love to all places and all people who are suffering and that it will be felt and it will be centering on a subconscious level that peace and that energy that is needed. So, you know, when when your body is leaving, you still can give this world light and love. And while you're alive, you do it through your actions and your actions can be, you know, creating a summit or it can be teaching or it can be working in a coffee bar. It doesn't even matter what you're doing as long as you are bringing that light of the other side to help anyone who's suffering, anyone who's in front of you. I think it was Howard Storm who said, love the person in front of you. And that's, what I did in teaching that 14 year old who was angry was in front of me. That's the person I'm going to love. And to me, that's light work is love in action and love is energy. Well, it's too bad that Ty is loading the bus. He normally listens to the show, but uh, he, <laughs> the first time he heard I was invited to speak to a light workers conference, he looked confused and he seriously, Trisha, he said, why do you want to go speak to a bunch of electricians? <laughs> He's come a long way. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious and cute. It is. Oh gosh. Now let's see. Do you still pop out of your body unbidden? It happened a few times in the book. Like all of a sudden you're walking along and then you're out of your body. 
That was more so in the first couple of years. Now, if I'm lucky during meditation, I can get out and, and fly around in the sky, but but it doesn't happen just in uh, in random moments. I think I had some trauma from the hospital and the wreck, and so if anything, if I heard a siren or felt like I was in danger, I would pop out of my body. But those were kind of weird moments. I'm more grounded now. <laughs> okay. Well, you're you're more grounded, and I think I'm going to be grounded because Ty just stuck his head in the door, pointed a finger at me, and said, you're in trouble. So I guess he is listening. <laughs> I've been put on report. Oh, my gosh. So you still teach, correct? I do. I teach at a community college, and we had to transition to online, you know, this semester, yeah. and that was a challenge, but beautiful to still see their faces on Zoom. And Nice. Nice. Do, do they know that you're a light worker? They do, and so I don't talk too much about it, but sometimes after class, they will ask for a medium reading, and if you have time for a really quick story, a lot of my students are Hispanic, and sometimes their grandparents will talk in Spanish, and I can't I can't speak other languages very well, and then they'll just get really frustrated, and they'll say, tell my granddaughter that she can do this, and she doesn't need to come to you, <laughs> so oh, nice. I'm telling a lot of them. <laughs> that their grandparents think that they have the ability. <laughs> That's great. Well, we have about one minute left, Trisha. I've just loved your, love your energy. I've really enjoyed this conversation. What's your final advice for anybody, final message for anybody as we wind this down? Yeah, a couple of messages. One is we take ourselves seriously sometimes and we don't give ourselves enough credit so give yourself credit for being this great being of light who can really help other people but don't pay so much attention to the worries and the struggles of your life because five ten years from now that doesn't matter what matters is how much you loved and who you gave love to and did you treat yourself right and others right and in the moment Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. I hope everybody checks out your summit, trishabarkernde.com, and your beautiful book, Angels in the OR. Thank you so much for being with us. Everybody else, have a great week. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark, 
on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.